The St. Louis County-based 1st Senatorial District contains closely divided political geography, and Republican Randy Jotty is hoping to turn the district red once again. The Republican from Webster Groves joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair to say. I say hands to kiss and babies to shake. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our studios in St. Louis is... Joe Manis. And our special guest for today... Dr. Randy Jotty. He is the Republican nominee in the 1st Senatorial District, which takes in parts of South and Central St. Louis County. And Southwest St. Louis County. And Southwest St. Louis County. Um, The 1st District race is arguably one of the most competitive legislative races in the entire state of Missouri, so... If you're listening to this, we've also recorded an episode with State Senator Scott Sifton, the Democrat who will be running against Dr. Jotty. But we wanted to give the people of the 1st District a great sense of who these people are and why they should be voted for. So thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's fantastic to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and any ventures into politics that you've done over the last few years. Sure. I'm a native St. Louisan. I'm by profession. I'm an emergency physician. been practicing emergency medicine for 25 years. I've served on Webster Grove City Council. I've uh, run for other races. Uh, This is probably the most competitive race and probably the most balanced race that is out there, Republican versus Democrat. So it's yeah, exciting. Cause, yeah, because you ran for county council. Yes, correct. And, and, and you ran for state rep, correct? For state, correct. And didn't you run for Congress? Yes, yes he correct. was. Yeah, he was a little, he ran against Ann Wagner. That is correct. In 2000 and was that 2012? Yes. yes. Now, that one wasn't as close, but your races for county council and state representative yes. in, in districts, I would say lean Democratic were close, which I think is why you are seen as a formidable competitor to Senator Sifton. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. And actually, I had not anticipated running for this race. I had focused on other matters. But I think because of that competitive nature during years that Democrats have done fairly well, and I still held held my ground in the race, I think that led to the conversations for running for the first senatorial district in 2016. Okay. So what do you see as the key issues here? What prompted you to run for this seat? And what is your focus? The key issues that I would I would uh, bring up in going door to door and speak with people are growing the economy, bringing back high paying jobs to the St. Louis region, fixing health care. And as a physician, I know there's a need to bring down costs to increase efficiency, healing our communities. We certainly had some troubles with that in terms of trying to move forward collectively and restoring trust in the process of governance and getting beyond partisan politics. The one asset I think I have to bring is the fixing health care. As an emergency physician, I know. Where is the low-hanging fruit to make healthcare more efficient for better outcomes at lower cost? Well, let's be a little specific there. I mean, what are you talking about doing or not doing? Okay. Specifically, if I were given the opportunity to do one thing, it would be working on the Medicaid population, which is a fairly expensive program in the state. It's about a third of the budget, $9, $9 billion. But uh, two-thirds of that is federal money. Correct. But in terms of looking at that, so there's of the roughly million patients that are on Medicaid, there's a very small subset that are very expensive, often have chronic diseases, behavioral health issues, and addiction. 
that are very expensive. I get to know them on a first-name basis in the emergency room, and I've been frustrated over years, as well as many of my colleagues. We, they, we should provide better care, coordinate the care, and actually there are pilots throughout the nation that shows you can do that with incredible savings and much better outcomes. I would like to implement that in Missouri, and with the savings we bring, uh, let that be applied to schools, roads, or what other priorities the public deems appropriate. Okay. So you are opposed to expanding Medicaid? Right now, Medicaid is not efficient. So I think my I'm of all the candidates you have in the ballot, I'm probably the only one who takes care of Medicaid patients and uninsured patients every day at work. So I'm dedicated to them. I want them to have coverage. But I want to make sure the coverage we give them is efficient, it's sustainable, and they have better outcomes. Right now, we're not there. So I think if I can make the program more efficient, which I really do think I can, those funds that we save can then be addressed, in, whether it's expanding coverage, whether it's uh, funding the foundation formula roads. I, I don't have a pet project, but I would think I can make the whole budget process more efficient. Well, that has been something that has been proposed by even some Republicans, that you make pretty drastic changes to the Medicaid program and then pair it with an expansion under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act. Although, although they would need federal approval for many of these changes, not all of them, but some. And there's an avenue, correct, for other waiver programs. I think it's the 1111 waiver program. There's block grants. There's different things. And actually, uh, the uh, uh, CMS has encouraged states to be innovative, to have shared savings programs. They're looking for states to be the testing ground to try these pilots and you know, I've worked with um, uh, you know, Dr. Joe Parks, who understands. I actually work with a. I'm a physician consultant for a healthcare home in Missouri, which actually is le- Missouri is leading the nation with their healthcare home pilots for patients with behavioral health issues. Now, it, what is this exactly? So what it is, it's they've. It's interesting. What they do is they look to say who are patients that have potentially high expensive usage that have behavioral health issues. You know, perhaps it's depression, perhaps it's uh, schizophrenia, perhaps there's there's Right. complexities of that. But then they also usually have some type of chronic disease. Maybe maybe it's emphysema or diabetes. They have uh, a risk for poor health, poor outcomes, and very high usage. So what I do as a physician consultant, it's part of the Affordable Care Act, it's part of um, the process in Missouri, is I hit, there's 500 patients that I'm a consultant for, and I work with nurse practitioners, nurses, social workers, psychiatrists, and we, we have these teams, and we go through the patients, you know, every, every Wednesday. We go through, you know, the number of patients talk about their medical needs. I advise them on this person probably knows, does need to see an orthopedic surgeon for her knees, or this person is on these medications that, you know, we had a patient yesterday that was on 30 different medications, and it's just it, someone needs to clean this up. We need to have a pharmacist look at that. And it's just the way the healthcare system drifts. There's, it's much easier to prescribe to, say, do a procedure than to have someone really get to know who a patient is, what they need, perhaps go to their home or make sure go to their appointment with them and explain what the cardiologist is. And it's these patients do not show up in the emergency room for the most part. They don't get hospitalized. Well, how I mean, as a state senator, how would you implement any of this? I would institute a pilot program. It'd be a voluntary program for, and what you want to do is it's in, all in the data, but you say of the mil- million patients on Medicaid, who are the 1%, the 10,000 that have the highest usage and which of those lack the diagnoses, like say, like leukemia or recently hit by something that truly justifies their needs? But you're looking to say, these patients, some of these patients have been in the emergency room a hundred times in the last year. They never get admitted. Do they really need to be in the emergency room? We do stuff, you know, try to diagnostically evaluate things. Um, I would I would institute a voluntary program for that subset, and um, we w- it would have to be actually 
followed. What are their expenditures now? What do we anticipate their expenditures to be in 2017? How much did they save? It, and, if it, it, and, how, and what are their outcomes too, their health outcomes? Is there hemoglobin A1C, which is a diabetes marker, is it better? Is there blood, you know, make, it's very measurable. And I think you know, with Medicaid, the cost of it, I think there's great, we need to do something like that. Now, the economy though, is another issue that you mentioned at the beginning. And um, we know, Jason and I both know, I mean, you and um, Senator Sifton, I mean, have very strong differences on t- one particular issue, right to work. So if you can talk about your philosophy on the economy and how that fits in or doesn't. Sure. So initially about the economy and going door to door and speak with people, I know there's a great need to bring higher paying jobs back to St. Louis. And there's many, there are many individuals, kind of two demographic sets, the recent college graduates that don't feel like there's a place in the labor force for them, and those who are middle-aged who have been downsized out of the market and really feel like they have skills that they would like to apply and perhaps need retraining. I'm dedicated to finding work for them. The middle class has been bypassed in some of the economic recoveries that have happened. Secondly, regarding right to work, I believe that any healthy organization always has accountability from the top down, the bottom up. And I believe that if an organization requires dues or fees from its um, from individuals reg- without an opportunity to say vote yes or no on those dues, it's not healthy. There's not that accountability. So I por- support right to work. And I do think that actually unions, the vast majority will, will, will still do very well in this. So there will be accountability measures if there's membership that is unhappy about how funds are spent or what leadership is doing, they'll have to be responsive to that. But any healthy organization has that accountability throughout, and I think it, it'll work out fine for all. I think that's interesting because the, the, the district is pretty diverse. When I say diverse, I mean you have uh, cities like Webster Groves, Brentwood, and the like, which I think are more suburban bedroom communities. But parts of unincorporated South St. Louis County have a lot of people who either work in organized labor or are retired from organized labor. So right to work is an important issue for them. Are, are, are you taking that in mind with your position when, you're, when you're, you're running in a district like this, that it may not be the most popular one to take? I think you have to use your conscience as to what you think is right. And actually, I've, going through these districts, I mean, we currently are not a right-to-work state, mm-hmm. and there are many areas within the district that are not doing well economically. They feel like we have to have a different approach. So I think many people realize they're nervous about changes, but we are in a different economy than we had been a generation ago, and they realize that we have to be very responsive to that. Now, one of Sifton's contentions, I mean, there are, and there are some stats to back this up, is that um, pay in right-to-work states uh, tends to be about 15% left, less for the same job as for in a state that does not have it. What, how do you respond when people say, well, it's really a right-to-work for less? Well, I, you know, I think I support higher-paying jobs, and I think we have to, and they have to be jobs that are competitive you know, throughout the state, without throughout the region, with other states that perhaps are right-to-work states and globally. And I think that's the ultimate parameter. And I want everyone to have enough funds to pay their expenses, to have time with their family and have something left over. I mean, that's a common objective, and there's no reason why to oppose that, and I certainly don't. Um, I haven't seen the, you know, the stats that, you know, I'm sure there's stats that could go both ways and you know, applied on different parts of the argument. I think we know that we are in a global economy. And we got here perhaps not the way we'd like to be, but that's a fact. And we have to compete globally. So I want to make sure our labor force 
everybody within has a capacity to have the best pay possible and have a stable, reliable job. Do you think the fact that the two candidates in this race have different opinions on right to work makes is one of the reasons why so many people are watching it and, and why there may be a lot at stake, depending on who wins? Because Senator Sifton is making that argument. We were talking before the show that a lot of things have to happen for this race to really be super crucial. What's kind of your take on that? I mean, I think there are actually, Jason, there are many different parameters are playing a role. Healthcare, I mean, I've had people chasing me down out of their front, out, you know, I leave them, there's a woman I went to uh, door-to-door in Crestwood, and, you know, I just, you know, through the screen door, I said, I'm Dr. Randy Jotting, I'm running for the state, sent a little bit of information about myself, left a brochure, continued up the road, then coming back down, she came out with her walker, um, she she has some disabilities, and she's you know healthcare was a very big issue for her. She actually was on Medicare, so I explained her the difference between Medicaid and Medicare. But she knows it's not all working out well for her. So there really are many different issues. Education is an issue. The economy is a huge one. People want to work, and they want to be able to save for their retirement. So those those issues there there's a diversity of issues. There may be a certain subset of issues that cause other uh, interests to play a role. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, the, 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 the union right to work issue is not what drove me to be, to be running. It's because of my understanding of health care and trying to make things more efficient and affordable for well, all. What is your take on abortion rights? Are you supportive or opposed to them? I am pro-life. It's a, an integral to my Catholic faith. Okay. So, I mean, when, uh, as you know, the, the social issues such as uh, abortion and gun rights and that sort of thing, um, have always been a major issue in the General Assembly. How would you address some of this? I mean, do you think there needs to be more restrictions on abortion, do, uh, less? I mean, what's your views on stem cell research, that sort of thing? Okay. So on, you know, the, on the abortion issue, as I mentioned, I'm pro-life. I certainly recognize, you know, a lot of this has been, you know, since Roe versus Wade, a lot of this has worked through. I, th- I recognize certainly that any measure that passes a General Assembly has to be held uh, to the standards of the you know, Missouri Constitution, Missouri Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. I think we've all yes. witnessed that. Right. So, I mean, but there, as your, I mean, is this like your top issue? Or, I mean, how would you quantify my, this? My top issue is making Medicaid uh, more affordable for all okay. and, and health care. That's my issue. And if there, as I'm, if there is one thing I could fix for the citizens of the first district as well as Missouri is that I feel like I have the, uh, the understanding, the knowledge to make things work better. That's what's driving me to be here, to being in the okay. race. And- yeah. I was watching one of your ads on Twitter, and one of the things that was mentioned, in it, and I'm paraphrasing, so I may not be getting sure. it exactly right, is trying to combat riots or trying to prevent them from occurring. Can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's an allusion to what happened in Ferguson and, yes. and, and the reaction to law enforcement. I'd like to get you to flesh that out a little bit. Sure, and and it's it's part of the healing our community. So there's different components. You know, as, a, as an emergency physician, every all the involved parties end up in the emergency room. I take care of the first responders, whether they're the paramedics, the EMS, the firefighters, or the police when they're there. I also take care of those who are uh, in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in our cities that are injured and shot and you know, victims of violence. And frankly, sometimes they're also what we call violent victims of violence. They, too, have a history of violence in their background. And for none of them, do is this a good option or alternative? They, especially for the victim, violent victims of violence, that's why growing our economy and educational issues are really key to a different future for them. I think there needs to be a different set of leadership and looking, you know, some of them, these are municipal issues. Some of the looking on terms of, I think it was Senate Bill 5 that Mm -hmm. Senator Schmidt proposed. You know, there's some, I think, some grievances people had in terms of how their municipalities uh, treat them. 
I think we need to have all different parties at the table. And initially, it's less hearing everybody out and making sure that all parties have a mutual understanding. It's figuring out a means of going forward and also accountability. And there's some interesting proposals and projects that are out there to actually address the violence in some of our roughest neighborhoods. And I certainly feel for those who live there. I feel for the, for, you know, every first responder, their family should feel confident that they're going to come home at the end of their shift. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm not, for example, condoning somebody who's at a protest and throws a Molotov cocktail mm-hmm. or shoots somebody or does any of that. Like that is clearly not what I'm about to talk about now. Mm-hmm. But I think that the reason a lot of African-Americans came out to protest over the last couple of years is they feel like they are treated unequally in the St. Louis region. They feel like police treat them badly when they're driving around many municipalities, mm-hmm. even wealthy ones that like, you know, Clayton, Ledoux, Town & Country. I, I know that the legislature can't magically fix that sentiment, but what sort of policies would you want to be a part of to try and, and heal the community, as you mentioned, and, and, and address some of those concerns. And I, and I think part of, there are some interesting pilots that are out there, like I think it was the John Jay School of Criminal Justice is proposed for some of the, you know, what we are experiencing in St. Louis is not unique, as you've certainly seen from other cities. I think real, there is a lack of connection between sometimes the, uh, you know, the law enforcement and the people in the communities, and it, and it, it is difficult on both sides. And I think there is a need to bring those uh, to create a uh, stronger relationships. And I think relationships always create mutual understanding and you can understand where the other person is coming from and what's, what are they dealing with their lives. We have to have priorities as to what is necessary to keep these neighborhoods safe and to keep the officers safe. Now, you mentioned education because that's a big issue in your district because mm-hmm. of the transfer situation. Yes. Um, for our listeners, um, because there's a law in place that allows unaccredited school districts or people in unaccredited school districts to send their kids to adjoining school districts, um, a lot of people, I think, from either Riverview, I think it was Riverview, Riverview Gardens, came yes. to the Melville School Correct. District. So it says obviously something that the, the incumbent has focused on. What's kind of your philosophical approach to that issue? I mean, my philosophical approach is the same. It's kind of the same as my. It's ultimately about the patient when I'm in the hospital with with education. It's about the student ultimately, and there's many different parts of the system can assist mm-hmm. that student, but it's ultimately about the student. So hence, you know, I think every student has a right to a uh, an, uh, effective and a good education in an accredited school. Um, Students need to have the option to have a choice of schools, hopefully close to their neighborhood. I think the idea of transporting someone all the way across the county probably isn't in this. You know, they may be going to a good school district, but it's perhaps not what that student and their parents, his or her parents, would choose. Mm -hmm. And I think also the receiving school districts, they need to have... um, you know, be able to plan ahead for a year. You know, if it's an empty seat, well, then that's easy to do. But if you already have a full classroom and you're having seven more students coming in, it makes it very difficult for the receiving school district. So I think we need to reapproach that. But ultimately, just for me, it's it's everything else. It's about the patient in the hospital, in the emergency room. It's about the student. And I think that's a priority. Now, you mentioned that about the foundation formula, which for our listeners is the name of the state's main school aid program that goes to the public schools. Uh, how would you increase the money in it, or do you think there's enough money in it? And if you did want more money in it, how would you propose getting it? Okay. Well, two components to your question. I guess is, is there money out there that we could find to help uh, fund the foundation formula? 
referring back to the pilot program I suggested for 10,000 Medicaid patients, those patients are probably spending $3 billion per year in the Medicaid budget. And just a 10% savings could bring in 300 million. I mean, you could have a larger pilot to larger patients, but there's monies out there that could be brought back into the overall discussion. Yeah, but wouldn't but, some of that money have to go back to the feds since the could. feds finance Well, it depends. It. I mean, no one's done something like this. I think the feds are interested in trying to figure out how to run these programs more efficiently. So it would be a waiver-type program. So I think we could see how that goes. Um, you know, and part of it with the schools is the important thing is that often we politicians always say is, I brought so many dollars back to X, Y, or Z. The ultimate, it really ultimately should be what the end result with it, that is. So if there's more money going to healthcare, we should be able to say these individuals are healthier, their blood pressure is better, they're not in the hospitals often, they have a physician who they can call on a Saturday night. The same thing with schools. Education is crucial crucial to competing in a global economy. But just saying well, here's more money, we need to have accountability and say if these additional funds are coming in, we need to be able to know what are the parameters to say they're being effective. Because you know, there's not enough in the big picture, we know how Missouri voted on statewide tax issues, the Hancock Amendment. There has to be enough money, um, probably, you know, for the most part, within what we have. So we need to be cognizant of that. What do you see as the chief differences between you and Senator Sifton? Although we've just established many in this, this no, but I want I, I want him. I know, I know. Yes. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm teasing. And I guess I would say there's, and, I, and as I mentioned, we were at a, a forum um, at a hospital a, f- a few nights ago. And I'm, as I mentioned the crowd there, I'm not running to be running against Scott. I'm running because I feel like I have, we have different, um, re- you know, life experiences we're bringing. I'm a physician. I'm an emergency physician. And I think. He's I a lawyer. See, he's, he's attorney. I think he's, he's. He's, he's an attorney, and he's, I think he works on financial securities litigation. He can tell you best, but we have different resources we bring to the table. And I think the reason senators approach me about running is because Medicaid is a big issue in the state. Um, and also, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm bringing some fresh resources. Scott's been there, I think, for um, uh, four years in the Senate and two in the House. And this is an opportunity to say if we're, if we're on a good direction, well, then you probably should vote for Scott. If you feel like we, let's try something different, vote for Randy Jotty. I think that we, we, when I mentioned at the top of the show this was competitive, I, I want to just explain a little bit why. First of all, the first district, while I think it leans slightly Democratic, it's not overwhelmingly Democratic. In fact, Senator Sifton mentioned in this past century, even though the district has been redistricted since then, right. the winner has not won by more than one or two percent. That's number one. The other reason is that there aren't that many competitive state Senate races in the state. And the state parties typically pool their resources and give it to certain candidates that are running in competitive races. So the 19th district race in Columbia and Cooper County between Stephen Weber and Caleb Rowden is getting incredible amounts of money because it's an open seat. It's very competitive. And there's no there's no other races for money to go to. And you can only run so many ads in Columbia. Hence the reason why you're getting a lot of money. And Senator Sifton already had a large amount of money. He's also getting quite a bit of money. So with that backdrop in mind, how does that change the dynamic of the race when before you may have run a campaign and not been well supported? Now you have resources and there's expectations on you. And it has to be a lot different. Well, I mean, are, is, I mean, is the state party offering advice or do you have other people who are helping you on this or I mean, staff? So I have, you know, so my campaign manager um, is Josh Foster, who's been great. And he's right. helped out with other campaign. He's from South County. He know, you know, he mm-hmm. comes from a family that has long been involved in politics. 
And, you know, it's, I've had great support from volunteers as well. And I think the thing that, you know, in terms of the resources, what's useful <laughs> is I think uh, as I go door to door and I've, you know, knocked on thousands of doors and, you know, making phone calls, people are familiar with the race. They're familiar with the candidates. Sometimes all the information that's put out there, you know, there's everybody's always not interested in bringing clarity to the race or they have different perspectives. But people are familiar. So ultimately, you want informed voters that can make an informed decision. And as you mentioned, it is a swing district. So there are a number of voters who will, there's probably going to be, there's very little straight party ticket voting within this district, which is. But even so, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation, some by me, (laughs) on what what the trickle down might be. Since, as Jason and I have mentioned before, um, some Republicans are relying on a strong, enthusiastic turnout in South County and in Jefferson County, which is outside your district, but South County is not, um, because of of the so-called Trump effect. And um, so I'm wondering, are you hoping to benefit from that? I mean, when you go door to door, are, are do you think people are... Linking that at all as far as, well, I'll vote for a Republican here and vote down the line? Or just kind of what do you think yeah, is going Joe, on? My sense is people are – they're really just thinking. They're thinking about – they're actually thinking about the issues. They're thinking – they tell – you know, when I approach my ask, do you have any questions, comments, or suggestions? And it's really about issues that are pertinent to them. So I think, it, you know, it's actually affirming. You know, the, the citizens themselves have things they want to talk about and issues. And to the most part, they're not talking about, you know – the other parts of the ticket. That's yeah. not what. That's not part. Which is which is really what it should be about. It should be about well, myself versus the other candidate. What are you, what are each individual offering, mm-hmm. and what's that dynamic? Well, I think the reason Joe asked that question is I think that the your party's nominee is going to be perceived different in different parts of the district. So Webster Groves, which leans a little bit more Democratic, mm-hmm. Trump may not be popular there, but there is kind of an assumption because. South County, unincorporated South County especially, is more working class, and yes. working class voters may be more inclined to listen to Trump on trade. And, and not just shows. Republicans, but Democrats. Democrats, too. It, it may, Republicans may actually do better in South County down the ticket because of that. Obviously, a lot could happen in the next few weeks. Trump is not doing very well for various reasons now. But I think that's what Joe was getting at, that South County and Jeffco may be more energized than the Republican way for those reasons. Well, and he's stabilized. I mean, you know, but that's but, that, that's a side thing. But, so do you have any thoughts on that? I don't, right. you know, it's actually hard to predict because you go, it's really going door to door. That's the best way to get a sense what's on the voter's mind. And you actually have some pretty good responses in it. They really, they talk about the issues. We don't talk. Uh, well, the, what do you, I mean, okay, we've we talked about several issues, mm-hmm. but when you talk to voters, is there anything else that they talk about? Well, they I mean, talk the, about health care. Sometimes they talk about uh Certain things that they think should be over the counter, uh, like albuterol inhalers, that's been brought up. Mm-hmm. They talk about um, they talk they talk about the economy. They talk about bringing their you know sons and daughters back from the Middle East from the armed services. I mean, they have issues, but really they're they're the core household issues that are independent of a party, which actually makes it a a good district to run in because ideally, I think you know an informed citizen is thinking about what are the most important things to me. And how do we move forward on that? So well, it's been affirming. Have Republican leaders in the legislature, like Ron Richard or others, reached out to you, talked to you, given you advice? Uh, I actually, I, I've spoke with them early on about in terms of what I have to bring to this, to the uh, the state senate, particularly my health care, 
And um, I think that's that's their interest. So I think they they realize that I have valuable information to bring to bring to that. Most of, you know, all of our the campaign work is really being done in house down on Merrimack Bottom Road. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious what the tone of this race is, and there's a little bit of a perspective that I, I I saw in 2012. So even though Scott Sifton and Jim Lemke were engaged in the most competitive legislative race in the state, where a lot was on the line. I felt that both candidates actually comported themselves very well. It was not a, a 100% positive campaign. There were some negative ads, but the negative ads were above the belt. And I think both candidates walked away feeling like each candidate had had played fairly, which is rare to see in Missouri politics when there's a competitive race. The 19th district race, which I alluded to, is going down a huge negativity hole right now. So how do you think the tone of this race is so far? Has it been you know, somewhat combative, but relatively civil? Or do you think it could be getting kind of testy given the high stakes? I mean, my perspective is always to do the best you can in terms of being someone that you feel good about and moving forward and, you know, looking towards the end result. And, you know, the, the ads, the information we have, I think anything that's related to a particular issue, like, you know, that would come up in the General Assembly and it's a vote up or a vote down on this particular issue, that's important. If there is a distinction, it's important for, you know, the citizens to know that because that's, that would impact, the, you know, laws that affect them. I think, you know, the personal issues or things of that nature are not pertinent. Right. And that's kind of what happened in that particular mm-hmm. race. I think most of the discourse was about votes or about how much lobbyist gifts that people took, which is all part of public record and is all part of accountability. And I think that both candidates did felt that that was fine. It doesn't always happen that way, though, in legislative politics, as we've seen. So anyways, we want to just thank you for being on our show. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed the discussion. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll, we'll be following the results of this race very closely for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would people find you either on social media or otherwise? The, the best way to go is to the webpage, www.randyjotte.com. And it brings you to a Facebook that probably has a ton of stuff and, all, and also means of contacting me with uh, electronically via email and other parameters. Very Thank good. You. We will be back next time. Until then, so long. Mm-hmm.